0: Welcome to One More Thing Before You Go. In this episode, we're going to learn what it feels like to lose a parent at a young age and how it affects our whole life. We're going to hear from a woman who lost her mother when she was only 10 years old, as well as three other family members within close proximity of each other and how it affected her life negatively. And we're also going to learn how she transformed her life into a positive, productive opportunity to help others achieve success in clearing the toxic environment affecting us all i'm your host michael Hurst. this is that thing about losing a parent at a young age my guest today in this episode is amy carlson she's also known as the toxin terminator she's an author an entrepreneur and a podcast host of the same name welcome to the show amy
1: oh absolutely i'm i'm honored to be here and and uh, be able to provide some people with some hope
0: well, if if you got a moment, please can you tell us a little bit about uh, Amy, the person,
1: <laughs> Amy, the woman, the myth, the the legend? No, I'm just kidding. I uh, well, I'm 54. Uh, I'm supposed to be retired, and I have in later in life found a uh, new passion. I was a owner and operator of Jiffy Lube franchises for better than 30 years of my life. So I am certified to work on cars. Um, I had five locations in um, Council Bluffs in Des Moines, Iowa. Uh, I'm married uh, to a wonderful man that is absolutely my better half. And he has two sons. I have a son. Collectively, we have three <laughs> We've been married for 15 years, and we have 12 grandkids that just keep us young and energized.
0: (laughs) 12 grandkids is good. 12 grandkids is good. Well, again, welcome. I appreciate you you. joining us and uh, sharing your stories. You lost three members of your family at a very young age. Um, I I know you lost your mother, your grandmother and your grandfather all within a ber- relatively short period of time. And then later on you lost your brother. Mm-hmm. Um, so if, can you, um, like who did you lose first and then how old were you, uh, when you, when you lost them?
1: Sure. So my grandfather died first on my dad's side and that was in, well, I'm we not have to give ages. <laughs> I, yeah. I guess I did already with you. So, um, I would I would have been about eight years old, just between eight and nine years old, and then not even two years later, I lost my mom, and I had just turned ten uh, when she passed away, and then within six months of her passing away, I believe if I have my dates correctly, um, my grandmother on my mom's side um, passed away, and I came to. To, to find out later in life, you know, as, as a child, there's a lot of backstory that we don't always know going on. And um, what I found out is that my grandmother had been fighting multiple um, sclerosis for many, many years. And after my mom passed away, the desire to fight um, kind of left her and and that's why she passed so quickly.
0: So when your mother passed away, uh, well, your grandfather what did he die of? Was it natural causes or was something disease related or something that you just were unaware of or not know as a, as a, a child?
1: Yep. He had um, lung cancer and uh, he was in the Navy for many years and then also worked in the railroad industry. Um, so, you know, today we know that that, you know, leads to asbestos is. A major exposure in the Navy, and the shipyards, and in the railroad industry. So um, obviously, that's where that came from, because he died in his um, early 50s.
0: Did you know that as a child, were you aware of what his history was and why he died?
1: I knew he had cancer, um, but I didn't know all the rest of the history. And, it, and, I, and it's important to know that, because when my mom was diagnosed and, and uh, went into the hospital, and we were told that she had cancer. Obviously, I can't remember how my siblings responded, but that scared me because I had you know, grandpa just died of cancer. And, and uh, we were told, my dad told me that, oh, you know, mom's cancer is not like that. It's not the same. She's going to be okay. Um, you know, was I remember being told that.
0: When you were 10 years old, when your mother died, you were aware that she did have cancer?
1: I was aware that she had cancer as well.
0: I guess your dad took your mom to the hospital and um, he didn't come home with her. That's kind of how you knew she had passed on.
1: Um, Well, she went into the hospital in November um, and she uh had a surgery. I mean we didn't go visit her at the hospital. They brought her home for Christmas. They brought a nurse home with her and she came home for Christmas and then we kn- we didn't see her again. Um and we we knew that she was sick and that she had cancer, but we were, you know, my dad told us that it wasn't like grandpa's cancer and that she was going to be okay. And then um you know, when I came down uh, from waking up and, and saw all her belongings on the kid, uh, dining room table, I was, you know, excited. I thought, oh, good, mom's home. And I went to go back into her, their bedroom and I'm like, where's mom? Where's mom? And, and dad was sitting and said, you know, you need to come sit down and um, we need to have a conversation. So. And I'm
0: assuming you were close with your mother.
1: Uh, yeah, (laughs) yeah,
0: we've got two daughters and both of our daughters are extremely close to their mother and, um, like a best friend or an older sister, Mm -hmm. actually. Mm -hmm. Um, so this was a devastating blow to you.
1: Yeah, it was huge. And, and I think, um, you know, it just, I never got to experience that part of a mother daughter relationship, you know, at that time at 10 years old mom was still superwoman. She was amazing. She could do all things and do nothing wrong. And um and she was a stay at home mom. She gardened, she sewed, she played piano, she um, you know, led Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts and volunteered at the school and, you know, did all those things. A lot of a lot of the moms in the neighborhood I grew up in were stay at home moms. And so, you know, uh, I knew her as that I didn't get the chance to know her as a woman and have a friendship with her.
0: So in, in regard to that, um, how did you feel about not being able to say goodbye?
1: Oh, it haunted me. It, it, it really did. There were many things that haunted me, um, you know, growing up, I well, first of all, uh, I didn't get a chance to grieve. Um, you know, we, it, she passed it. It was a Sunday morning that she died, um, and we went to school on Monday. We were taken out of school for her funeral on a Wednesday and went right back into school on Thursday. And then it was just never talked about again. And so, you know, my world just got rocked, and 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 I had no one to talk to about that. So. Um, that was really hard for me. Um, now I can't remember your original question. Oh, um,
0: we were talking about the aspects of not goodbye. being able to say goodbye.
1: Yeah. So yeah. I I remember asking my dad um, at one point, you know, and i don't remember how old i was but i just asked you know what were mom's last words you know cuz he spent all kinds of time with her he was always up at the hospital and i had asked that question and and i was always told uh, you know when you're old enough i'll share that with you when you're old enough i'll you know i'll talk to you about that so i grew up with this Fantasy that there was something so profound shared at her end of life, and that um, I was certain it had something to do with me, right? You know, and and I I was so looking forward to this time of finding this out. And um, later on in life, I mean, I I'm like. I don't know. I was probably in my late 20s, early 30s. I reconnected with my aunt, my mom's sister. And because after she passed, you know, the family just didn't get together. And I remember asking Mary Jo, you know, I I was never told what mom's last words were. And I was always told when I got old enough that, that it would be shared with me. And dad never talks about it. Do you know... What mom's final words were. And she looked at me and she said, Amy, your mom was in a coma for weeks before she passed away. There were no last words. I'm like, ah, oh, you're correct, you're killing me. You know, it was just like, what? You know, so you know, as a child, we fantasize so much and we um I carried through childhood into adulthood. Uh, Well, you need to understand that I look exactly like my mom um, and not, I was told that. By everybody. Um, You are the epitome of your mother. You look exactly like her. You act like her, you know. And even today, when you look at pictures, there's no denying, you know, we're mother daughter. And so I got told that repeatedly over and over again. And so I felt like I'm going to die when I'm 32 years old. You know, she was 32 years old when she passed away. So I was convinced, you know, these childlike things that we implant into our head.
0: So it's a profound effect on you, actually, from the age of 10 yeah. forward, because obviously it affected you for a good portion, well, yeah. a good portion of your early life.
1: Absolutely. Um, obviously, you, overcame, <laughs> Absolutely. you know,
0: Eventually, you came to overcome that. Uh, maybe in a little bit, we'll kind of expand upon that. Sure. Because um, we know as a child, most kids done and young people, they don't get to understand what grieving is. They don't understand what the five stages of grieving are. In my old profession as a police officer, I ran into a lot of kids that used to get into trouble for a lot of stuff. And then you do a little more investigation and find out that basically um, they lost a parent. Right. And they didn't know why. Nobody would tell them. They didn't understand it. They didn't know how to deal with their feelings. They didn't know what to do with them. So that's where they ended up. And, mm-hmm. and unfortunately... At least back in Colorado, where I was a police officer, um, in the area that I was a police officer, there was a lot of kids that got in trouble <laughs> and a good portion of them um, were, were due to something like losing a parent. Mm-hmm. Some, got, some got help, some did not. And uh, I continued to deal with them up until the time I retired. And then um, my colleagues dealt with them afterwards. Mm-hmm. So they continued down a nasty path of, uh, I, I, I don't want to say acting out, but trying to cope with what they were not allowed to cope with at an early age because they lost a parent.
1: Yeah. I, um, as I grew up, uh, and stop me if you want not want me to talk about this now, but I, um, what I knew when I was growing up was that I hurt. I, I, I don't know that I could put a, a label on how I felt inside, but there was this huge hole That it just, it was, you know, I just didn't feel good. I didn't like my reality, you know, my, you know, lost my mom. My dad remarried very quickly. And then he he fell into alcoholism and and was gone a lot, wasn't a lot of big presence in our life. And, you know, and then I found alcohol and drugs as well because it numbed the pain. I didn't have to feel what I was feeling when I was under the influence of alcohol or drugs. And then that led to obviously horrible behaviors. and But the beauty about it is... Um, I got sober when I was still only 19 years old or 20, you know, maybe I was 20 years old when I got sober. And, um, you know, God just has a hand in our lives all along. And when I got sober, at the time when I did, there were treatment centers that you went away to for a long period of time. And the nurse that was in the treatment center that took care of me was the same nurse that took care of my mom when she was in the hospital.
0: Oh, that's ironic. Mm Mm-hmm. That's ironic.
1: So uh, yeah,
0: I was I was going to ask you how did, how did it complicate your teenage years?
1: The uh, I until that time,
0: were you were you always did you turn it to alcohol at an early age within your teenage years, or or did that come a little bit later?
1: Early, Um I'm trying to think. It was. um it was the summer between 7th and 8th grade that I took my first drink. So how old would that be? Um, 12, 13? 12,
0: 12, 13 years old.
1: hmm
0: So 12, yeah. 12, 13 years old would put you in there. Yep. Which, again, it, yeah, it, as my statements earlier, in dealing with individuals, um, young people that I met on the street that we were picking up, um, a lot of it was alcohol. Mm-hmm. And drugs mm-hmm. at that age, and they were trying to use it as a coping mechanism uh, to help them get through what they were doing. So, um, yep,
1: <laughs> I, can yep. <laughs> I can relate. I can relate.
0: So, you stopped, you went to treatment. Did you mm-hmm. do that on your own, or is no. that something that somebody helps you get into? <laughs>
1: so my my entire family kind of got sober around the same time within about 12 months of each other so at the time at that time when a family member was in treatment you as a family member had to go to what they considered family treatment and so each person had to go through their own individual thing because you had to talk about how their using affected you in your life, and and it was aside and separate from the person who was receiving treatment, and so it's a it was a eight week program, and you had to sign a contract that you weren't going to use any mind or mood altering you know substances, and I couldn't make it through the the treatment. I got busted um, coming drunk. I actually came to a, a, a session drunk. So, um, there, and I went, <laughs> so that was the end of that one. <laughs>
0: well, it, it, that answers the question of whether or not, how did it affect the whole family? Yeah. Um, for, for losing people. So the, basically the loss of those individuals affected your family as a whole, yes. um, and continued to affect your family as a whole.
1: Yes, very much so. Very much so.
0: After you got out of the last rehab where you um, boo-booed a little bit, um, did you find more help or what are the kind of coping mechanisms were you able to discover?
1: So uh, going through that, it took me 48 days to get through a 30-day treatment program. Um, So I'm a little bit of a slow learner. Uh, However, in the process um you know a couple things having the nurse there joanne weber was her name i'll always remember her um Many, many great conversations with her. One of my biggest things that I hadn't dealt with was the death of my mother and grieving. So that was heavily dealt with with me in treatment and, um, walking through grief. So I was, you know, 19, 20 years old, almost 10 years later, now experiencing all that raw emotion of, of letting go, walking through that grief and, um, huge strides in becoming more aware of how I feel and what I did. And then from there, I went to AA, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous. And and uh, I, I met some amazing women that loved me. Uh, until I could love myself and um, nurtured me and walked me through and and taught me how to live a sober life. And so, and that's that's what I did. And, and you have to have that in your life. Uh, if you don't want to drink anymore, you cannot be around people who are drinking. You need to get with people who are going to encourage you to do all the right things. And drinking and drugging, I don't care what choice of of substance you use, that's simply a symptom. That's simply the the coping mechanism you use. There's so much underlying and it took years, years of work individually inside to get to a place where I felt peaceful and at peace and good about who I was. And even into, you know, 10 years ago, that's always modifying and changing and, and morphing. But, um, you know, learning to live life on life's terms, accepting life ha- how it is, and we're not promised an easy life. You, you know, know that, Michael. Um, it, it, there was just something in my brain that thought that life should be different. You know, and and um, so that's what I did. I, I chose to go the AA route. And I still it- go. <laughs>
0: And you still, well, that's a positive thing. Mm-hmm. Congratulations on that. I, I, kudos to anybody that can uh, stick with the program and stay with the program and continue the program. Um, as I said uh, earlier in in actually one of my introductions, uh, my father died. Uh, he was an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. And that's why he died of esophageal cancer and and um, cirrhosis of the liver, both. And he was 39 years old. But um, Yeah, it's, it's. Both my parents were alcoholics, actually, not to mm-hmm. get into you know long story, but both my parents were alcoholics. And um, both of them, I think, uh, used alcohol to cope with uh, the atmosphere and the environment that they grew up in. Right. Um, you know, we, we didn't know till years and years later uh, on both of them, actually, that uh, of what was transpiring in their home environment that uh, was a big secret and it was kept secret and so mm-hmm. forth. And just recently, within the last probably five or six years, it finally came out. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was their coping mechanism. That's, that's how true. they escaped and that's how they got through things. But I, um, I appreciate and I give kudos to anybody that sticks with the program. Um, mm-hmm. I arrested a lot of drug drivers, I mm-hmm. was the sergeant in charge of a DUI task force, and uh, I did it as a choice. And uh, some people, it was a mistake. Some people, it was a problem.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So anybody that stays in a program is a good thing.
1: Absolutely.
0: Not to change the subject too quickly, when did you lose your brother? Like, uh, how old, how, well, I don't want to really get into ages, but um, <laughs> right. how long yeah. after, <laughs> all will ask you, you lost your brother? Because you were kind of close to your brother, were you not?
1: I was very close to my brother.
0: In that case, please tell me about your brother.
1: My brother was born with an immune deficiency. And so, um, and we're not quite two years apart. He was older than I, I was. And um, there were many points in his life that he was sick, especially when he was younger before they came up upon a treatment that would help him. And um, we worked together uh, in in our uh, family business. He and I worked together. I, right? you know, we bonded so closely together after losing mom. We were because dad wasn't there either. You know, he was active in his stuff, and so Jim and I were the ones who like really grabbed hands and 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 really got even closer at that time. Uh, and he passed away just uh, ten years. What uh, will be it ought to be twelve years this summer that he's been gone, and um, so he he um, lived with my husband and I uh, the last couple years of his life, and and um, I we both uh, took care of him.
0: Well, and if you can help um, help the, our audience understand a little mm-hmm. bit, how was it different losing your brother than losing your grandparents or your mother?
1: Oh. Night and day. I mean, both both losses hurt, <laughs> and I think I think my brother's loss was probably more devastating to me than than the other three, um, because of the closeness of our relationship, um, and and he just was somebody I looked up to. Somebody I you know, he walked through so much with me in my life and, and, and I got to talk, Uh, you know, there was not anything unsaid between he and I, we spent so much time together and I got to hear, um, his regrets. I got to hear his, you know, wants and desires. I got to hear, um, Lots of, lots of things, you know, from him. And so that was, that was, uh, I appreciate, you know, having that time with him.
0: Yeah, it's very important. Um, people don't realize the opportunity to say goodbye or say, you know, something, one last thing mm-hmm. before they go, which is the whole purpose of this podcast, which is extremely, um, I won't say gratifying, but it gives you a better sense of peace and a better sense of understanding when they leave. You got to say what you wanted to say, do you know, kind of what you wanted to do to a, to a certain mm-hmm. point. Um, and it's different than losing somebody abruptly mm-hmm. um, it, because you're left with a void when you lose somebody abruptly or you don't know much about it, or you don't get to say goodbye, or you don't get to say what you want to say. So in taking care of your brother, um, I think that was a benefit in at least from my perspective and watching both sides of it, both through family, friends, and colleagues and um strangers. Yeah. That um uh, that's a very positive thing.
1: Yeah. So I, they both have their challenges, you know, for sure. Um I, I, I don't know that the, one is easier, better. <laughs> I mean, loss is loss, but um because there was so much I didn't get to say and learn and know about my mom you know, in, in growing up, but I got to do that, you know, when I went through my treatment, I got to do that when I was going through my counseling, because I wrote letters and I buried them at her graveside, you know, so I, I would sit and, t- and say all the things that I needed to say, uh, and, and I, I found answers and talked to people that knew her and were close to her. So, um, there are, you know, for That's me, very- yeah.
0: That's a very efficient counselor that's a that's a an extremely positive thing to do to write down what you wanted to say when you didn't get the opportunity to and uh, write the letter to somebody like that and to tell them what you wanted to say. The bearing with them is a good thing mm-hmm. um I had to do it with a friend of mine uh, one of my best friends he actually uh, was another law enforcement officer, and we lost him. In 2010, and um, we were very close. He was my kid's godfather, and so I, um, my kids, wrote him a letter, and I took it with me to his funeral, and they put it in his casket with him, and mm-hmm. that helped them get a little bit of closure mm-hmm. because they got to say to Uncle John what they wanted to say. Yeah, yeah, positive thing. Yep. Tell me about your experience in being a caretaker for your brother. Did do you think that that was that a better option? In, in your case, that allowed you to, to do this? Because I know sometimes caretakers get uh, kind of uh, focused, and they kind of lose track of themselves, and they become more of a caretaker from a clinical perspective than a personal perspective.
1: So um, can I identify with that statement? When the last couple of years of my brother's life, there were there was always many hospital stays, but, uh, one particular one, uh, we were, t- I was told, I, you know, usually it was just me with him. I was told that he wasn't going to live, uh, through this hospital stay. So I was calling the family in, and when my parents arrived, they, they went past the room. They didn't recognize me. Um, y- you know, and my mom said that to me, you know, later, you know, I, I, I I, you were, I didn't recognize you and you, you get lost, you get lost in taking care of them. You get lost in time. Um, that was one of the big things after losing him that, um, I didn't realize how much of time I spent with him. You know, if it wasn't physically with him, taking care of him than it was thinking about him, thinking about, you know, am I doing all the things I need to do to give him the best quality of life that he can possibly have? Am I, you know, providing as much as I can provide for him? Am I giving him all the opportunities that I can give him? Um, And then in my own mind, I'm also thinking about what am I going to do when he's gone? You know, I knew the end was coming. And so I was already starting to grieve and go through those processes before he even left. And um, that that really sucked the air out of me after he passed away, that time thing. And, and trying to uh, figure out how to fill that void back up again, right? You know, we get those, right. those empty voids that we have to figure out a positive way to have them filled. Um, but yeah, it, it just, I loved it because they're so so many memories, you know, that I have that many of my other family members don't have, um, you know, that that I can laugh about now and I can giggle about. And um, it took me a couple of years to get to that point where I I could laugh, you know, and, and it took me a couple of years to get past the real sick part, you know, to get past and look and get to the healthier parts and get to the good memories, not all the tragedy, right? Um, you know, yeah. all the, the the bad stuff.
0: Yeah, and taking care of somebody for the last 18 months of their life. My father-in-law had Lewy body dementia, so I can understand um, exactly where you're coming from. Um, and it's different, you know, when you participate in someone's end of life yeah. that way. Yeah. And we, you know, my wife and I did the same thing. We got very clinical um, at times. We kind of forgot to take care of ourselves, and um, <laughs> we forgot how to be a couple. Mm-hmm. Uh, we forgot how to uh, be individual as well. And uh, it was a twenty-four-seven job. So I respect you for doing that. And I respect uh, other people that do it too. They yeah. just people. I think a reminder that we could express upon anybody that's in that situation or going to go through that situation is keep in mind that you are a person, mm-hmm. you're a family member, you're a friend, or a, a spouse or whoever you happen to be, that you need to take care of yourself yeah. and make sure that you continue to take care of yourself. Because if you you get sick, then you're of no benefit to that individual Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Well,
1: yeah, and and learning to to accept the help when the help is there, take the help. You know, the uh, my husband and I did a lot of tag teaming. The, you know, my brother didn't want to die in the hospital. He spent so many um, times in the hospital. That's not where he wanted to die, and I wanted to honor that, and I had to fight for that. He fell and broke his hip just a week before he passed, and first of all, I felt a lot of guilt for that because that was on my watch, you know, it was, you know, in my care. But secondly, there was nothing they could do. I mean, you know, we were already at a point where there was nothing they could do, but they couldn't even do surgery, you know, nothing. So we literally watched them lay there and, and, and pass away. And, um, I can't remember what I was going at with that, but, um, must not have been that important. I got kind of lost, but it, it's um, We're my talking
0: about
1: fam, yeah. They w- well, when we t- went to the hospital to find out that it was hip was broken, they wanted to keep him there, and they wanted and, you know or move him to a hospice facility. And I and I had to fight with no, I you know he does not want to be there. That's not what he his desire is. And at this point, he was like a dementia patient. He didn't know reality. You know what was real and what wasn't, and um you know and, and and so yeah so i may I made the decision to bring him back home and set things up and have that there, and then my whole family was there with us, so it was it was actually. It was actually one of those experiences that w- really brought the family closer together as a whole unit. You know, even though it's death, um, we were all able to be there. We were all able to support each other. And we were all able to see, well, myself, my sister, and my dad were able to see those last final minutes that um, he shared so much with us in uh, that made such an impactful uh difference in my life and my dad's life and my sister's life to be able to see that.
0: Well, that's, that's, I think is important. Um, it's important from several different perspectives. My, our daughter I keep saying my daughter, but it's actually our daughter. Um, our daughter, uh, moved in with, uh, mm-hmm. Diane and I. So mm-hmm. that she could help us take care of her grandfather, so mm-hmm. it was a profound experience for her as well. Mm-hmm. She saw life from a different perspective in yeah. that regard, but she didn't shy away from it. So you know, uh, which we love her for. Um, we have two daughters. The other daughter was working in California, so she wasn't able to make it out here, but she did come out to say what she wanted to mm-hmm. say. Yeah. prior to him going because we had him here in the house as well, so we had housemates come in here. Mm-hmm. Um, pushed to the time that he was going to pass and um, my wife was extremely grateful for the fact that we were able to get him and keep him in the house yeah um, with hospice coming here because it gave her an opportunity to reconnect with her father over long over at least 18 months that he had left because prior to that they had a relationship but it really wasn't a close relationship. This changed it a little Mm -hmm. bit so she at least had a better opportunity to connect with him on a a different level. um, Absolutely. We had some fun times and he laughed a lot and Mm -hmm. um, with his dementia he, he... he used to hear him giggling and laughing, and we'd come <laughs> up and he'd say, um, What are you laughing at? And he said, Well, the squirrel's chasing the chipmunk. And he'd go, See he there? It's going right at my arm and running down over there. And don't you see it? <laughs> <laughs> he'd ro- point to the chipmunk or the squirrel he was seeing, you know? Yeah. So we yeah. kind of play along a little bit. But it oh, yeah. gave her an opp- opportunity for um, some positive memories, too. And so ah. forth, think we get to say goodbye.
1: Come on. <laughs> And that's what you have to choose. I mean, once you're beyond that point, you know, in in the beginning, it was hard. Like I said, it was hard for me to get past the devastating parts, right? It was hard to like, like, um, every time he went to sleep, you you know, it's like a brain reset and, and, you know, he'd, he'd wake up and and he'd start saying, Amy, my body feels different. I know I'm catching something, I, we need to go to the doctor. And I'd have to say, no, you know, Jim, we're not going to the doctor anymore. And, you know, and I, and he'd say, well, am I just supposed to lay here and die? And it's like, you know, Jim, that's where we are right now. And, and seeing that realization in his eyes and in every single time it was, it, you know, wasn't faked. He was like hit, hitting him, um, you know, but choosing to not go there anymore you know I choose to go to the funny you know we went to the Cleveland clinic in Ohio our whole airplane ride was <laughs> a, a, a whole it was just so interesting I lost him in the airport uh, you know, I, it was just like how did I lose him <laughs> but I did and he he had to go to the bathroom and and so he gets into the restroom before we're taken off you know right we're on on the tarmac, and and he's not coming out, and we can't back away from the gate, and we're blocking up all kinds of air traffic, <laughs> and everybody's like, you know, they're like, can't you get out? I'm like, oh, I can't get him out of there. I'm sorry. You know, <laughs> so it's just like, there were so many things that were so funny you know and experiences that happen he overfilled the uh he flooded the bathtub in in the in the room that we were staying in because he had stepped on that you know how the bathtubs have you step on the our Plunge it to, to the plug. Yeah, the plug. You know, he he had stepped on it and didn't know when he was taking the shower, and and you know he, he's like, ah, "Is there something wrong?" And and I go in the bathroom and it's flooding, and you know it's just like, ah. And I come back out and he's he's standing there and he's like. Ah. It's just something's not right, and I'm like, "No, you're right, Jim. Something's not right. He's got both legs in one pant leg. He's can't figure out why he can't walk. <laughs> you know. And but he was so good-hearted about it. He 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 giggle and you know, and and it just. So I I like to go back, even that was even in the final time, you know, but we had even in there, we had some good laughs and good memories. And, you know, I, I like to go back to those points. And, and I know that he'd want me to remember him that way.
0: And that's a positive thing. Um, I think everybody should, in this particular situation, remember to look back on the the fun times, the um, the laughs, mm-hmm. and the funny moments, and keep that in your heart. Because you know, this way, this individual lives on in your heart and always.
1: Well, and in, in a good way, you know, when we focus on the hurt and the pain and the suffering uh, for them, for us, you know, as we're gone, that's what you're going to, that's the energy you're going to create. That's what you're going to have in your life. And, and you'll always feel lost and you'll always feel void and you'll always have that negativity. And if you choose to look at, you're going to see them again. It's not the end, um, you know, that uh, you had good memories that they're in your heart. You know, that's, that's what you got to focus on, not, not the hurt and the pain.
0: Well, that, that's the next question, I guess, would be um, spiritual aspects and life after death. Um, yeah. So how do you feel about life after death? Do you think when somebody passes that there is life beyond mm-hmm. in some form or another?
1: I absolutely do, and um, I I was raised in the church. My grandfather was a Methodist minister, and and I mean we were raised in the church. But after mom died, we stopped going. And after you know those deaths in my life and things getting so different, I was kind of I didn't understand God. I I didn't understand how you could allow these kinds of things to happen. How could you? you know, how could you, how could you let this hurt and pain, you know, come into my life if, if you're supposed to be such a good, you know, God. Um, and then later in life and even getting into AA, you know, I used the group as my, you know, higher power and my God. It, it, I was still mad at him. I still didn't, you know, have a good relationship with God yet. Um, you know, but I, I got back there later in life and, um, through my brother's death, Um, he, when he was really sick, mom would come visit him and he would share that, you know, with, with me. And he'd always say, I must've really been sick this time because mom was here again. And I don't know if they talked or she just would have, I don't know how that manifested for him. Um, but in his dying time, the, uh, you know, he told us that mom was there and then he was sharing that his, um his third sister was there and my sister and I were really confused because there was three of us. There was, my brother was the oldest, me, and then my sister. And we were talking outside about it and we were asking dad, you know, he heard about it and he turned super white, like white as a ghost. We're like, what dad, what's going on? And he says, you know, he, Amy, your mom had a miscarriage in between you two girls, and we never told anybody about it and so he kept referring to his third sister and and as he was passing, you know he he t- shared with us that she was there you know he would say, "I can see her, but she 's far away and when he did die, you know he said she's here and, and we we told him to go take her hand and and she would take him and and um that's what happened. And, and, and that to me was wiped away any question, any doubt, any feeling like there's no afterlife, there's no heaven. Um, because I still had my questions, um, you know, eternity, life, life forever. I, our earthly brains can't even wrap around that. And experiencing that with him just, took away any kind of doubt.
0: Yeah. When people, I mean, life after death is kind of a touchy subject to a lot of people, but mm-hmm. in my experiences, I have um, heard strangers talking to somebody that wasn't there mm-hmm. uh, before they had passed on. I've heard family members talking to other family members mm-hmm. that had passed on previously. And there were times some of the other family said, well, these just he she are uh, just babbling mm-hmm. and they call it babble and they said that's what happens you know uh and of course i'm referring to the older generation that mm-hmm. uh, they were saying he just babbles or mm-hmm. they were just babbling but uh the longer that i had witnessed it the more i had seen it the more i felt that um somebody was actually talking to somebody on the other side and they were there waiting for them so that they could help escort them
1: mm-hmm. i i i yeah. I believe it 100%. And, um, you know, I mean, this doesn't have, well, it does have stuff to do with death, but I think I think the older we get, the more jaded we get, the more, you know, we, we, we think, well, this isn't real. If you watch babies and you watch animals... I believe with everything in me that there are angels all around us, There, there are angels everywhere. And I think babies see them and I think animals see them. And I think we as adults get told, well, that's not possible. This is, you know, and we just get so jaded in our mind that, that we take that ability away for, from us to be able to see them.
0: You lose the vision.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You lose the vision. And, um, and uh, I understand that. I agree with you 100%. I think that uh, there are angels that take care of us, look over our Mm -hmm. shoulder. And um, In my career and in my life, uh, I know, and I can attest to the fact that I had several angels looking over my shoulder at specific times, Mm -hmm. um, and I'm still here. So because of that, so I do believe that. You know, David, my father-in-law, I guess the most experience I had to that was when David was here, because, you know, we had, had been with him so so close twenty four seven and the yeah. fact that um David was not a religious individual. He grew up in in the church as a child, but then he walked away from the church mm-hmm. for the longest time, and you know his his vision was that you just go to a black space, you know, yeah. go anywhere when you pass on and that that was his thought. He didn't want last rites. he didn't want a priest, preacher, he didn't want anybody here to give him any kind of last rites or anything like that. Um His sisters yeah. kind of disagreed. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, it's something he, he didn't want. Mm-hmm. So we kind of left it that way. So there was a few times we caught him. Well, I won't say caught him cause that sounds like you do something wrong.
1: <laughs> that's <laughs> he, the cop was, coming out in yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, that's, I got to keep remembering that. Um, basically we found him, um, talking, mm-hmm. uh, talking to somebody. And then we'd kind of peek around the corner and we'd listen in a little bit. And he was actually talking to his grandparents, his grandfather in specific, who he was extremely close to. Mm. And um, his aunt... And, um, and I can't ask my wife next time we talk, um, because he was talking to three different people and these were three different people that had passed on quite some time ago, but he was very close to, and he was just having a conversation. Mm -hmm. And this was probably about a week before he actually passed on. Mm -hmm. Um, and we asked him, who are you talking to? And he says, oh, I'm just talking to Mac and, (laughs) you know, Mary and and so forth. And we go, okay. And (laughs) what about our business? And he laid back down and. And went sleep.
1: I just think I, you know, my brother was a very faithful man and, um, you know, very spiritual, had a very, uh, very close, you know, relationship. So, you know, he shared with me, I'm not afraid to die. I know exactly where I'm going. Um, and he, and I believe that 100% he his, his, um, Anxiety, if you will, was the process to get there. He knew it was going to be hard. He knew you know the walk, but he, he also knew that uh, you know, God hasn't taken me yet, there's something I haven't fulfilled. there's some purpose I haven't um, done that he created me for and, and I believe it was the end. I believe my sister and my dad and I needed to see what we saw and witness what we saw um, so that we could share that later.
0: With people, yeah, that's a good thing. I think yeah. it's a positive thing. What would you recommend for people who have lost somebody at a young age um, after all of your experiences and what you went through and your challenges as you grew up and through adulthood? What would you recommend for somebody uh, that is losing or has lost somebody?
1: Um, oh, boy. You know, number one, talk, 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 talk. Grief looks different for everybody, and everybody processes grief in a different way, and um, don't let anybody tell you that you're handling grief wrong, it, because you need you need to walk through that grief process in your own way. Um, you know, my dad handled grief very differently than I did, and he would many times say to me, "You know, you're not handling." It. And I and I I have a lot of family that won't talk to me about my brother because they say to me, "You cry every time." We talk about him and I'm like, you know, but it's not, they're not bad tears. It's okay. It's okay to talk about the deceased person. It's okay. And sometimes we who are mourning that deceased person, we need to hear about them. We need to be talking about them. I'm not sure when you can identify that your actions and behaviors are not healthy or appropriate um, other than are they affecting your life style? Are they affecting those around you in a negative way? And then I think you need to look at it. And I would encourage everybody, uh, especially young ones, um, please, if you're a parent, take your children into counseling, let them get professional help because, especially, As a parent, sometimes we as little kids, we don't feel comfortable sharing a lot with our parents. We don't feel comfortable um, telling them the truth because we don't want to hurt our parents. We don't want them to be more sad. We don't want, you know, to create more... Whatever in their life, so um, you know, seek out that professional help um, by all means. No matter what age you are, but especially as kids, um, younger kids and teens, you know, get them into to talking with somebody so that they can work through it in a healthy way, so that it doesn't affect their lives. They don't have to go through uh, making you know really poor choices or live their life with that. <laughs> Huge void and hole, um, you know, and know that, you know, life can still be good.
0: That's very good advice. I agree with you 100%. Communication is important. Um, people have lost the art of communication, especially <laughs> in today's technology age with texting and um, uh, artificial intelligence and everything else, handling everything. Yeah. Uh, people are losing the ability to talk and to communicate through voice one-on-one yeah so um that's important let you know and be open to listening um so when you do talk to somebody or if you do express what you're feeling and um so forth the other individual needs to be able to listen Right. And be open to listening with an open mind and not a closed mind and and think thoroughly. don't don't shut something down because you think that it's not right. and don't shut it down because you think that that it's not the right answer because there's always an answer somewhere
1: mm-hmm.
0: and that they should work through it together if necessary. Yeah.
1: Well, feelings are feelings. Feelings are neither, neither right nor wrong. Feelings are feelings. And, and um, you know, understanding that and letting somebody have their feelings. Um, and you've got to walk through them. You can't avoid them. They are going to come back and bite you in the ass in a major way if you don't feel them you've got to walk into that grief. You've got to feel the pain because you get to get on the other side of it and, and see the beauty of, of what you had. Uh, and if you don't feel those feelings, you're always going to be in that pain and void.
0: Well, and realistically, there are numerous ways to deal with your pain and your grief artistically as well through creative yeah. arts therapy. So um, very good programs in dealing with music and dealing with art, painting, mm-hmm and sculpting and uh, dance and drama. Uh, Creative arts therapy is a very effective way of helping you work through your grief, work through your um, issues with uh, losing someone. I don't know if I want to use the word issues, um, working through the process Mm -hmm. of dealing with loss to to at least do it from a positive perspective. And um, who knows, you may realize you're a great artist. Or a great dancer or a great singer or a great drum player. (laughs) You
1: You don't know, or a writer or, you know, there's so many different creativities and group. You know, there are so many different grief groups. There's many, many churches that have grief groups and you don't even have to belong to the church to come through that. There are so many different... Uh, process, uh, you know, when I was younger, and then with my nieces and nephews, when my brother passed, I took them to, was it called Amanda the Panda? Um, it was for kids. It was a weekend like thing, but you could connect with the people there. And, and that connection, we need community. We need that connection. So when we can communicate with and be connected to people who have walked in our shoes, uh, then it's much easier for us to, to get through that, uh, you know, with them.
0: I agree 100%. Is there anything else that you feel that is important to pass on?
1: you know, knowing that, that God doesn't walk us into anything He can't get us through and that, you know, He is our strength he is, and He is our peace and comfort um, and He is there. Whether we believe it or not, He is there with us. He is walking with us. Um, you know, He is my strength and He is who I turn to uh, in my times of trouble and, and, and even in my times of joy and in my time, you know, everything I owe, you know, to Him. You know, he has blessed me immensely.
0: Well, Amy, I I appreciate your conversation today. Thank you very much for all the tips and for the advice and for your stories. I think that sharing what you have shared with us should help people move through their process, especially if they're you know, have an experience at a young age and or have children that are going through that experience. um, It gives them at least somewhat of a path to understanding and knowing that there are answers out there and that uh, don't give up, just choose the right path and to make sure that you can heal correctly and, and stay positive about the experience. One last thing, Amy, my thoughts are that negativity, anger, grief, resentment over losing somebody are toxic to our system and that there are ways to alleviate that. Do you agree?
1: So in order to have a toxin-free lifestyle, there's five pillars of living a toxin-free lifestyle. They're air, water, food, absorption, and mental. So grief is part of that mental part, right? We have grief, we have stress, we have mental illness, whether it's anxiety, depression. Um, There are so many realms of mental, and I believe it's one of the stronger pillars of really getting to the bottom of removing toxins from our our home and our environment.
0: I agree 100%. Again, thank you very much, Amy. I really appreciate your time and sharing everything with us. You can find The Toxin Terminator on your favorite podcast platforms or in the link in the show notes.
1: Oh, absolutely. I'm, I'm honored to be able to provide some people with some hope.
0: For our listeners out there, please remember that if you're experiencing any of these issues or if you need help yourself, there are support groups that are available to you as well as crisis lines. Please keep in mind that you need to communicate, talk, talk to your family, talk to your friends, talk to your colleagues. You are not alone. I'll provide information in the show notes of several options for getting help. Thanks for listening to this episode and we really appreciate you. You can find more information about the Toxin Terminator podcast on your favorite listening platform and in the show notes, as well as find a link to Amy Carlson's new book, The Toxin Terminator, Finding Focus, Energy, and Renewed Health by Removing Hidden Toxins in the show notes, as well as on the website beforeyougopodcast.com. That's beforeyougopodcast.com. Have a nice day, have a nice week, and thanks for listening.
1: One More Thing Before You Go, a unique conversation about life podcast, is a creation of One More Thing Productions, established 2010, all rights reserved.